Our scripture reading this morning will be from 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 through 9. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and sober, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Thanks, Jason. Next Sunday is Commission Sunday, and that gives us a great opportunity to have a global perspective on what God is doing in and through us. It gives us a chance to look outside of ourselves, which is what we really need to do, to look outside of ourselves and to see a bigger picture of God's kingdom and of the world that is desperately in need of the gospel. I am so thankful to be a part of a church family that takes missions seriously. And doesn't just talk about it, but puts resources there. People, time, money, effort. And so Commission Sunday, we have these three times a year, and it gives us a chance to all come together and to unify around our mission of making disciples. What God has called us to do. Jesus' final command and our first priority. Throughout Scripture, the idea of planting seeds is used as a metaphor for the kingdom of God and the gospel, the word of God. And the idea when this metaphor is used throughout scripture is that it leads somewhere, that there is an increase, there is a harvest. And God is the one who provides that harvest. When seeds of the gospel are planted in people's hearts, in communities, in families, in individuals, God works in that person or those people's hearts and minds to bring about transformation and thus the saving of souls, this harvest of souls. And so when we support missionaries, as we do throughout this world, you can see the flags if you're here in the room, you can see the flags on either side. When we support missionaries, when we send out people from here on mission trips, which we hope to do again very soon, hopefully, keep praying, But when we do that, what we're doing is we're planting seeds of the gospel. We're doing our part. But it doesn't depend upon us, thankfully. God is the one that provides the increase. God is the one that brings about the harvest of souls. And so we look to God, and we pray to God, and we rely on God to work in this world, and we are simply his instruments, his messengers, taking the gospel, taking the good news, trying to be disciples that make disciples. And so watch this very short video to help prepare our hearts and our minds for Commission Sunday. You reap what you sow. It's a law of nature. It's a biblical truth. And it's an important principle in disciple making. When we plant seeds of the gospel, God is faithful to provide the increase. Sharing, serving, going, giving. When we plant the seeds, God does amazing things. 
be part of what God is doing to make disciples around the world. What a great reminder of what we are here to do and what God is doing through us. Our job is to plant the seeds of the gospel, not just around the world, but right here as well. But certainly we have a responsibility and an opportunity to do that around the world. And God is doing amazing things through our efforts to plant seeds of the gospel. And next week we want to tell you some more of those stories You should look in your bulletin this week, if you haven't had a chance, look in your bulletin and read the story about Valentin, a man in Mexico who has seen our students travel down there for many years. I mean, it's been a while since we've been down there, but he's been there a long time and he remembers our students going down there. And recently, he heard the gospel again. The seed was planted long ago. It's been watered for all these years, and now God has provided the increase. He said, I want to give my life to Christ. Stories like that are happening all over the world through the efforts of this congregation and our missionaries who are on the front lines. And so please pray for our missionaries. Please be a part of what God is doing. One of the best ways you can do that, one of the most practical ways, one of the most needed ways is to give sacrificially next Sunday because the money that we give on these commission Sundays throughout the year is used to support our missionaries and to do special mission projects, care packages and and feeding people and camps and other things and then plus helping pay for our people to go on mission trips. So please give sacrificially next Sunday and continue to pray. One of our missionaries who is one of our people who grew up here And now he's out in the world planting seeds of the gospel is Chris Crowder. And Chris has tried to get his paperwork all in order. He's had some problems over the past several months, but he has finally been able to get all of that in shape and ready to go. And he is leaving this week to go back to Northern Ireland. And so we want to have a prayer of blessing and provision over him. One of our shepherds, Merritt Roberts, is going to come up and say this prayer. Chris, wherever you are, come on up and let Merritt pray for you this morning and let's join them in prayer. Merritt and Chris. Well, unfortunately, when you're doing God's work, sometimes that causes separation. And uh, Paul has evidenced that much in the New Testament when he was away from people he loved and people that loved him. And um, as Randy said, this is one of our own. And he's going to a place that um, he's been before, and I know he's anxious to get back there. And um, as is our tradition here, when anyone leaves this congregation to work in God's kingdom, we um, go to our Father in prayer and ask for his blessing. And I'd ask you to join me this time. Father, we're especially grateful to you for Chris and that you've raised up this young man, Father, to work in your kingdom. Father, I pray this morning um, a a prayer of thanks to you for opening this door for him um, to where he can return to the place that he desires, to people that he loves and cares about. 
And Father, we're thankful to you for the opportunity that you've given us to support Chris spiritually and financially. And Father, I pray this morning uh, a prayer of safety for him as he travels physically. And I pray, I pray a prayer of safety for him spiritually. And Father, please protect him from the evil one. Father, we know there's going to be times of discouragement. And I pray during those times, Father, that you would help him to feel our support and love and prayers from this congregation. And I pray in times of victory that you would help him to give you all the praise and glory. Father, please help him to follow your will and your ways in all that he does. And Father, I pray that you would give him a spirit of love as he works with those whose hearts that you've already prepared. And Father, in all that we do, help us to represent the love that you have for us. And Father, our greatest desire is to be like Jesus so that we can be a light to this dark world that we live in. And so, Father, our prayer is that as we strive to be disciples and make disciples, no matter where that is, whether it's in Northern Ireland with the youth that he works with there in the congregation, or whether it's here locally or any of our other mission points around the world, that you would always help us to look to you for the direction and guidance that we need to people, be the people that you want us to be. And Father, this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever feel out of place in this world? Like you're on a long journey to find your way home? Christians are and always have been strangers in this world. We don't really belong. Yes, we live in this world, and sometimes we tend to carry the weight of the world. But this world is not our home. We live with a different purpose. We look beyond this life, and we long for something more. We are unsettled exiles on our way home. That's right. We are unsettled exiles in this world, but we're on our way home. And for that, we thank God and we praise God because he has prepared a home for us that is truly our home. But while we are here, we have work to do. And while we are here, we have the business of the kingdom of God to be about. It is good to be together. I am so thankful that you are here, that you're online, that you're in this space, that you're in our overflow space. It is good to be together. And I hope you have a Bible with you. If you do, open it up to 1 Peter chapter 5 as we finish out our Exiles series today. 1 Peter chapter 5 will be our text. A couple of years ago, a mother in Pennsylvania decided to let her first grade daughter, Addison, choose her own outfit for picture day at school the next day. And so Addison chose her favorite outfit, a green sequined dress. Now that's not probably what her mother would have chosen, but in the sake of helping her child exercise some independence, no worries, her mom approved the outfit. 
So the next day, mom takes her to school in her green sequin dress. She gets her school pictures made. A few days later, they get the pictures that they ordered, and they ordered the ones with the purple background that they liked. But when they look at the pictures, they notice something very odd. Her dress that was once green is now purple, just like the background. <laughs> As they looked at the packet, you know how they, those photography companies do, they send you the proof so that maybe you'll buy more pictures. So as they began to look at all the proofs, they discovered that with every picture and every background, her dress began to look like every background. <laughs> it just blended into the background. And they, they discovered that her green sequin dress was an exact match of the green screen that they used behind her to take the picture so that they could then Photoshop all the different backgrounds for their school pictures. So every picture that was taken of her, her dress looked exactly like the background. As you can see here, the wheat field, that's a pretty funny one. There was one that was an American flag background. <laughs> that's great. Look at this, look at this next one. Even a bridge like we have. They have a bridge. <laughs> Well, the idea is pretty clear that she blended into her surroundings. She blended into her background. And so here, as Peter closes this first letter that he writes to these Christians scattered around the Roman Empire, his message is pretty much, don't blend in to your background. That as Christians, as these Christians, exiles, strangers, aliens in this world, you talk differently, you live differently, you act differently, you interact with others differently than the world does. You don't just blend in to your background. And so what Peter is going to say as he closes out this letter is, you need to wear something. There's something that you need to wear that causes you to stand out from the background, to stand out from the world around you. He's going to tell us what that is. But see, what you wear matters. It matters what you wear. And you know that because some of you do the closet coma. You know what I'm talking about? You stand in your closet looking at your clothes and you're just in this trance. What am I going to wear? What should I wear? What am I going to wear? I don't know what to wear. I could wear that. I could wear this. I don't know what to wear. And you just stand there staring at your closet. Now, there's, there's maybe some guys who do that, but for us guys, we do something similar, but it's, it's in the open fridge. We have the open fridge coma. We just open up the fridge and we go, what are we going to eat? What am I going to eat? Do I want to eat that? Do I want to eat that? And really, there's a lot of parallels. You know, you're standing at the fridge and you see something and you think, that may be outdated. You take it up, smell of it, Ooh, yeah, it's outdated. I should probably get rid of it, but what do you do? Put it back in. That's what some of you do in your closet too, right? You take that out, that's outdated. I should probably get rid of that. Nah, I'll just put it back in. You never know. It'll come back in style. I might need that. You see, what we wear matters. We make big decisions every day about what we look like when we go out into the world. What you wear actually communicates something. It communicates something. There's actually a whole line of psychology. Enclothed cognition is what it's called. Researchers are out there studying 
the effects of what you wear on you, how it makes you feel, but also what it communicates to other people about how much power you have, how much influence you have, how much money you make, all these things. So what you wear communicates something. It means something. For example, if, if you see someone with a military uniform, maybe, maybe they're a general, that says something to you. But if you see me in my paint clothes, I mean, I have some clothes at home that I always put on to paint. You know, there's paint smeared all over them, probably a few holes in them. If you see me in those clothes, that also communicates something to you, probably something very differently than what the military uniform communicates. When we look at Scripture, it has a lot to say about what we wear. Now, it actually has a lot to say about literally what we wear. But even more than that, clothes are used as a metaphor. What we put on, how we present ourselves, what becomes important to us, our values, our words, our actions, what we put on so that we communicate something not only to ourselves, but to the world. The Bible has a lot to say about what we wear. And so as we wrap up this series, means to be a Christian exile in this world, we need to know what we are to wear. We need to know what we are to look like. And as we dress, as we put on what Scripture tells us to put on, it tells us something. But it also tells the world something. You know what else it does? It causes us to stand out from the world. It causes us to not blend in to the background. As exiles in this world, as strangers, as aliens, as Christians who know that this world is not our home, isn't that what we are supposed to do? To stand out from the world? Not elevated above the world. In fact, what we're going to talk about today is just the opposite. Not better than the world, but living differently. Our lives are ordered by different values, kingdom values. And so I want you to notice what Peter says, to whom he says it, and what it means. He will start with those in leadership, those with influence. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, remember Peter was there, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock, he says, that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. I love how Peter appeals to them. He says, remember who it is writing to you. I was a witness to Christ, to his sufferings. Remember, these people, these Christian exiles are suffering. They're being persecuted. Peter says, I was there when Jesus was persecuted. And of course, Peter is also in the crosshairs of the culture of the day because of his faith, because of his mission to make disciples. 
But he also says, I appeal to you not just as a witness, someone who was there, I appeal to you as a fellow elder, a fellow shepherd. You may remember that when Jesus was taken away, when he was arrested, Peter was confronted and he was asked, hey, don't you go with him? Don't, don't you follow him? Aren't y'all connected? And three different times, what did Peter do? He denied it. No, no, no. Jesus is crucified and then praise God by the power of God he is raised from the grave the resurrected Jesus finds Peter and what does he do he forgives him he reinstates him he restores him how does he do it he asks him three questions actually the same question three different times what was the question Peter do you love me Peter said yes and what did Jesus say feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, yes. Take care of my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Then feed my sheep. Be a shepherd. And so here Peter says, I appeal to you as a fellow shepherd. You see, that's the role of an elder, of a shepherd. It is to feed the flock, to care for the sheep, to take care of, to nurture, to feed, to protect. And to do that with a very particular motivation and mindset. Peter says, be eager to serve in this way. Do it willingly. No one's putting a gun to you and saying you should be an elder. Okay. He says, do it willingly. And he says, do it with humility. Don't lord it over those entrusted to you. Some versions say, don't be a ruler. Don't be overbearing. Don't be a boss. That's what some versions say. Don't lord it over them. Now, remember, Peter says, I was a witness to Christ's sufferings. Peter was with Jesus, and this isn't the first time Peter has heard these words that he's now repeating. He heard Jesus say these words. Mark chapter 10. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, those in places of authority, those leaders, what do they do? They lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be what? Your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, Jesus says, even I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life, to give Jesus' life as a ransom for many. You see, Jesus, our chief shepherd, provides the model for shepherding. If you want to know what a shepherd should be like, what an elder should be like, just look at Jesus. But I think you can expand this. Not only does Jesus provide the model for shepherding, but doesn't this apply to pretty much any leadership role? Doesn't he give us the model for leadership? And that is submissive, sacrificial service. That's the model for leadership. Now, you talk about standing out from the world. If you want to blend into your background as a leader, then you lead like the world leads. Well, how does the world lead? Well, go all the way back 500 years ago, 1500. Machiavelli, philosopher, guru, and he comes up with these leadership strategies. 
And they've been around for 500 years. They're just repackaged all the time. Even today in our world, it's things like this. Conceal your intentions. Get attention. Use selective honesty and generosity to disarm others. Win at all costs. Keep others in suspended fear. That's what the world says leaders are supposed to do because that is what helps you maintain your power and your privilege. And Jesus comes along and he shows us a different way. He says, if you want to lead, you do so in humility. And he doesn't just teach that, he lives it out. You don't lord it over others. You humbly serve and shepherd them. You see, it is the paradox of true power that you lead by serving, that you influence by submitting. That doesn't make sense to most people. That's not leadership. And Jesus says that is exactly what leadership is. So Peter continues in our text, sort of drawing the lens out, expanding the lens to talk to more people, not just shepherds, not just elders, but to eventually everyone. Back in our text, verse 5, in the same way, so shepherds, don't lord it over them, be eager to serve, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble, or grace to the humble, some versions say. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. And so Peter has addressed the shepherds, the elders, and now he addresses the younger people. And what does he say to them? He says, willingly submit to your leaders, willingly submit to your shepherds. Follow their example. Remember he said for them to set an example? So now he says to young people, I don't know if I can say us young people, to you young people, I think there are actually elders. There are. There are elders here my age, so I guess I'm not. To you young people, I'll say this. To you young people, he says, actually it applies to all of us. He says, humble yourselves. Submit yourselves. Listen and learn from those who have more experience. Submission is a theme throughout Peter's letter. We've talked about it. Go back and listen to an earlier sermon. It's a theme throughout this letter by Peter. And isn't the body of Christ healthier and more unified when we mutually yield to one another? When we serve one another? when we don't try to elevate ourselves and our opinions above each other, but when we truly, honestly submit in humility to each other. And that's what Peter says, because not just elders and shepherds, not just younger people, but then what does he say? Just in case you thought you were left out, he says, all of you, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. There's that metaphor of clothing. It's what we were looking for. Peter says, put on humility. Wrap yourself in it. Cover yourself in it. Dwell in it. Now, why does he use this metaphor of of putting on humility? Obviously, that's not a literal thing, although, as you'll see in just a moment, there is some literal references there. 
But, but why does he use this metaphor, to, this idea of clothing yourself in humility? Well, remember what we said earlier? What you wear communicates something. And so maybe in the first century, much like even today, what people were wearing communicated something. And maybe even within the church, not just in the culture out in the world, but even in the church, maybe what people were wearing was one of the visible signs of distinctions among them. Distinctions such as rich and poor, slave and free, the haves and the have-nots, those with social standing and those without. And so maybe that's why Peter says, no, that's not the way it should be. That we emphasize our distinctions among us, that we highlight our distinctions among us. Peter says, that's not the way it should be, and God wants no part of it. We are all one in Christ. There are no upper-class Christians and lower-class Christians. There are no designer clothes Christians and thrift store Christians. There are not Christians who are more important and Christians who are less important. Peter says we should all be wearing the same thing. We should all be wearing the same thing. Elders, young people, rich, poor, whoever you are, we should all be wearing the same thing. It doesn't so matter, it doesn't matter so much what you wear to church as much as it matters what you wear as the church. So what is this one thing, what is this Christian uniform, if you will, that we are supposed to wear? What does he say in verse 5? Clothe yourself with humility. Clothe yourself with humility. Make the very deliberate choice to not elevate yourself, not exalt yourself, but to humble yourself. And by doing so, you are putting on humility. The word there actually refers to a type of garment and a a way of wearing that garment. It was like a a wrap or, or maybe an apron and it tied to one's belt. If they had a vest on, they, they sort of had this vest with this belt, and so this wrap or this apron tied to the belt. And it was what servants wore. And it, it, was, it was supposed to be tied tightly so that it couldn't be just quickly taken off and put back on. I mean, that makes sense for humility, right? We don't want to always be humble, but, but this particular thing he's talking about here was tied tightly, and it's, it's what servants wore, and it's what distinguished them from everyone else. You could tell if someone was a servant by what they were wearing. They were wearing this this certain piece of clothing tied to their belt, much like an apron or a a wrap or maybe a towel. And that's what Peter says we are all to wear. Now, maybe the closest thing we have to that today is an apron. So I brought an apron here. And this is sort of a carpenter's apron apron maybe something you'd wear in the shop to build something out of wood but you know you aprons are worn in the kitchen and the idea is when you wear an apron what is what is the idea it means you're working you're serving you're you're preparing something you're making something or you're at a restaurant and you are serving 
And the idea is that, you know, you wipe your hands on it, and it, it's just, it's something that people wear to serve others. And what does Peter say? He says, clothe yourself, clothe yourself with humility. And again, the idea was that it was tied tightly so that you couldn't just take it off. I'm not sure I can do this without looking. There we go. I don't know how tight it is, but... So he said, clothe yourself with humility. Put on humility. No matter who you are, no matter how much power, how much money, how much influence you have, we as Christian exiles all wear the same thing, and it's humility. And it looks like a servant. It's the exact same thing that Jesus put on. In that upper room, when he got up from the table and went down to the floor, and what did he do? He washed the disciples' feet. Do you remember Peter said, I was a witness, I was with Jesus. And so maybe Peter's thinking about that defining moment in his own life. We read about it in John chapter 13. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. That's that same piece of clothing. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You see, Jesus demonstrated what it looks like to be clothed in humility. If anyone had power, if anyone had influence, if anyone deserved to be exalted, it was Jesus, the Son of the living God, and yet he lowered himself, taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself, and he served And that's what Peter says we are to do, and that's who we are to be like. You see, humility is always the appropriate thing to wear for Christians. It's always right for every occasion. It's always the right thing to wear. You don't have to stand in the closet and scan everything. How cold is it? What am I going to? What are people going to think? It's always the right thing to wear. Humility. Several years ago in Chicago, there was a graduate student in theology who lived there and was going to school there, and one morning he got up to go to class, and he noticed on the corner a man that was often there. The man's name was Shu, S-H-O-O. Now, I don't know if that was his nickname or if that was his real name, but ironically, he had a shoe shine booth set up on the sidewalk, and he was like a a barker at at a carnival. He would he would try to get passers-by to come in and let him shine their shoes, and so he tried to make money that way. But Mike, this graduate student in theology, on this one particular day noticed something different. As he walked by shoe, this nice car pulled up and parked right there by the sidewalk. And out of this car is a man dressed like a GQ cover model. And he gets out, he walks up to Shu, he says a few words, and then all of a sudden, Shu gets in the chair, and this man begins to clean and polish Shu's tattered and dirty shoes. And after he did that, without saying a word, and very discreetly, he got a $100 bill out of his pocket, and he gave it to Shu. He turned got in his car, and drove away. 
Later that night, when Mike got home, his wife asked him about class. How was class? And he said, well, it's interesting. I went to class to learn about Jesus, and I think I saw someone who looked a lot like Jesus on my way to class. Later, as he reflected on that experience, he said, I don't remember one thing from my theology classes that day, but I will never forget when I saw this man who looked like Jesus. The Bible says to clothe yourself with humility. Now, here's the thing about clothing yourself with humility. It's not always comfortable. I don't know if you're uncomfortable seeing me up here in an apron, but I can tell you I'm pretty uncomfortable. (laughs) Can you imagine people just tuning in right now? (laughs) Does he have a dress on? (laughs) No, it's just an apron. Are they doing a cooking show? What are they doing? I'm not surprised. It's a slippery slope. (laughs) It's not comfortable. In fact, it is uncomfortable. Okay, now people are taking pictures. That's great. Who... Who knows where that will show up? It's online. You don't have to take a picture. But just wearing an apron is uncomfortable sometimes, right? It's too tight. It gets in the way. It's hot. See, that's the nature of being humble. That's the nature of humility. It is not comfortable all the time. Because you don't get what you want. Because you don't get to pursue your agenda because you're putting someone else in front of you. That's not comfortable. You see, there is hardship that comes with humility. There is adversity that comes with standing out from the background, standing out from the world. There is difficulty and suffering that comes from living in a fallen world. So I love what Peter does here. He he doesn't just leave us there. Look back at verse 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I want you just to rest in that verse for a moment. Just meditate on that invitation. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. I sent out an email earlier this week with a few thoughts about this verse. What a profound statement. What a wonderful invitation. Whatever you're feeling, whatever struggles you have, maybe it's the hardship that comes with living a life of humility, of being clothed in humility. Maybe it's just living in a fallen world and things aren't going well. Whatever causes anxiety for you, give it to him. He cares for you. He wants to lift it off your shoulders. And think about this. Even the act of casting your anxiety onto him, isn't that an act of submission? Isn't that an act of humility? Because you have to acknowledge that I'm not carrying this around anymore. And maybe I have gotten to the point where I'm identified by my struggle. It's the only way I get attention from other people. I need to keep those struggles so I can elevate myself. Or I need to be in control. If I give them away, I no longer control them. You see, casting your anxiety on God is an act of submission. It is an act of humility. And he says, just do it. Trust God. 
He's got big shoulders. He can carry it. Give it to him and leave it with him. Don't try to take it back. He continues in verse 8. Be alert and have sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered for a little while, that's of course relative to eternity, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong firm and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever amen peter says don't forget that this is spiritual warfare he borrows some of paul's words from ephesians 6 your battle is not against flesh and blood we need to remember that our battle is not against flesh and blood remember he's writing to christian exiles who are being persecuted and mistreated by their peers by their employers by the governing authorities but those people who are pursuing them and persecuting them those really aren't their enemies those are simply instruments of satan who is using those people in those situations to try to silence the witness of christians try to squash their faith the same thing is true for us today Whatever anxiety you have, whoever it is that's coming after you, whatever opposition you feel, your battle's not against flesh and blood. Maybe Satan, maybe evil is using those things to try to silence your witness, steal your joy, squash your faith. We're in a spiritual battle. And there's a reason Peter says Satan, the devil, is like this lion on the prowl looking for someone to destroy, to devour. And the truth is, listen to me, church, when we choose to clothe ourselves with things like pride and selfishness and division and ego, rather than clothing ourselves with humility and love, What we are doing is we are giving Satan ground. We are giving him space to work among us, to distract us from our mission, to silence our witness, to take away our joy and our unity. May that never be the case. And so Paul ends, or Peter ends with encouragement. He says, You're not alone. These trials and these tribulations, the family of God throughout the world is going through the same thing, so hang on. Because after a little while, giving us perspective there, after a little while, what's God going to do? He's going to restore you. He's going to make you strong and steadfast. I love that he ends with God because it's all about God. And so if you are doing discovery Bible study with this text, then you know that one of the questions is, what do we learn about God? Just in our, what, 11 verses, 12 verses, in 1 Peter chapter 5, what do we learn about God? We learn a lot about God. We learn that he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
we learn that he will lift us up by his mighty hand. We learn that God wants to carry our burden of anxiety. We learn that God cares for us. And finally, we learn that God will restore us and strengthen us. Rightfully so. As humble exiles of faith, we conclude not in exalting ourselves, but in exalting God. And so Peter says, to him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to be together. And Father, as we look to your word to learn what it means to be exiles in this world, we pray that you would give us the courage and the faith not to blend into our background, but to stand out as we clothe ourselves with humility, as we live and enact the example of Jesus who served and loved and shepherded. Father, help us to have the same heart. And God, when opposition comes, when there is anxiety, help us to have the faith and the humility to hand it off, to give it to you, to do exactly what you want us to do, and that is to give it to you because you care for us. Father, I pray that we every day would get up and clothe ourselves with humility that you would help, that your spirit would help humility to be woven into the DNA, our collective DNA, and our individual DNA as Christian exiles in this world. Father, bless us so that we can bless others. Help us to remember who you are. Help us to remember who you made us to be. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If we can help you in some way, if we can pray for you, we want to do that. If today you're ready to give your life to Christ in submission, like Valentin did in Mexico, if that seed has been planted and, and it has been watered, and now it's time for God to bring the increase, we want to celebrate that with you. We can make that happen today. If you're here in the building, you can come forward as we stand and sing in just a moment. If you're watching online, go to our prayer page and reach out to us. We want to be here to help you. Is there something we can do? as you live your life as an exile in this world. Let's do it together. Let's stand and sing.